Well, that'll touch your heart, won't it? The Bible says unless you become like a little child, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's something about children and about child-likeness that is uh, a doorway into the kingdom. Children are trusting. They are they're certainly not perfect, are they? No. <laughs> and all the parents said, barely, amen. But they are precious, and uh, they certainly have a tenderness and a sensitivity in their heart. This past week, as we talked to them about uh, so many things, I was just so impressed with how <clears throat> attentive they were. And uh, when they'd come into my room, they all had to sit on the floor, and they just sat there and listened so attentively, and they had some great questions as well. And so it was a great, great week. And that particular song was my favorite of all the songs for the week. We had like five or six different songs, but that was my favorite. And then I think the one we're going to close with was Stephanie's favorite, right? So uh, we'll... Uh, uh, we get, we get to choose our favorites, okay? So, and, and but all the kids loved all of them. And, and at uh, at eight thirty, when Bible school was over, all of them would come down here and get up on this stage, and they'd play the songs, and they just would absolutely. That was just one of my favorite times watching them act out the 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 motions for all these songs. All the songs were great, but that one, boy, how deep. How wide, how far love goes. That's amazing, isn't it? Let me tell you, this past week in Vacation Bible School, we did a lot of thinking about the stars. We, our whole, uh, the whole focus was on just how, how vast, how beautiful, how great the universe is and the fact that God made it all just by speaking it into existence. Just to, and he, that is Jesus, is the image of, of the invisible God. So when we see him, Jesus said, when you see me, you've actually seen the Father. And uh, about 3,000 years ago, if we could have gone to Israel and gone out on the hillside 3,000 years ago, we might have seen a a little young boy uh, taking care of his sheep at night and the darkness of the night. He was lying there looking up and looking at all those stars. And uh, he was just overwhelmed and amazed at the beauty of the sky. And uh, later, God would inspire him to take that vision, that what he saw, and he would write some psalms. One of them is Psalm 19. So I want you to look for just a minute at Psalm 19, uh, verse, uh, well, we'll start with verse 1. We'll go through verse 4. And uh, this is written by David. This is the David who killed Goliath. This is the David that uh, became the great king of Israel. But he must have uh, had this picture in his mind even when he was a little boy. As he was lying out there, I was telling the kids uh, this last week, my cousin and I used to lie in the back of my uncle's pickup truck when uh, we lived way, way out in the country where there weren't any street lights, there weren't any, uh, uh, any other kind of lights, you know, and right there in the total pitch dark, we would uh, lie in the back of the pickup truck, and we would try to just count all the stars. We just, uh, of course, we never got very far, but, uh, but we, we'd just be so amazed at the Milky Way and all of those things. And uh, we didn't know this verse at that time, but this verse says, The heavens declare the glory of God. 
And when you go out at night, and I know it's not quite the same here in Glen Heights and everything when all the lights are shining, you can't see all the stars. But, boy, when you can look at them in a dark, dark place, and uh, if you were in Montana or somewhere and way out in the middle of nowhere and no lights, and you'd just be totally blown away. You remember that when you were a kid seeing them? Maybe, maybe you grew up in town. You never have seen the stars. I don't know. But, uh, but he says the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky, the firmament, that is the, the sky above, shows his handiwork. What a great creator we have. Then he says day unto day utters speech and night unto night. Reveals knowledge. Just when you see the sun, the moon, and all the stars, it's like they're preaching to you. It's like all of the planets and all of the stars are saying something about the greatness of God. Now it says there is no speech. Verse three said there is no there's no words, no language where their voice is not heard. In other words, it doesn't matter what language you speak. They say there are like 6,000 different spoken languages in the world, but all of the people on earth hear this language. And uh, uh, that there's a great God. Somebody had to make this beautiful world. And then verse 4 says, Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, and in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. What a what a, a marvelous thing. But then in uh, chapter 8 of Psalms, verses 3 through 9, we'll look at that, verses 3 through 7 or something like that. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, and the moon and the stars which you've ordained. David said, when, when, when I look up and see all these stars, when I see all this in the heavens that you've made, uh, a question comes to my mind. And he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? And, and the son of man, that is humans, that you would visit him. He said, when I see how vast and how great and how marvelous the heavens are, and by the way, he didn't really see anything. I mean, I don't, maybe I'll take that back. He saw something. But compared to what we see today, I was looking at something online this morning about uh, uh, pictures that the Hubble telescope has taken in what they call deep space. And they had... Uh, like the sky here, and then they had just a little tiny square, and they said the Hubble telescope focused on just that little tiny square, not not all the rest of the of the sky, just that little tiny square, and this was the picture, and it just came in millions, literally billions of galaxies, like our Milky Way galaxy. Our Milky Way galaxy is uh, if you were to see it from a distance, the whole galaxy would just look like one star. And when we look out and we see stars, 
Some of them are stars, but some of them are galaxies of stars. And our Milky Way galaxy, boys and girls, do you remember how far across the Milky Way galaxy it is from, from one edge to the other edge? How, how many light years? Do you remember? No, it, it, it's even more than that. It's 100,000 light years across just our Milky Way galaxy, which has billions of stars just in our galaxy. And then there are billions of galaxies. So the psalmist says, man, when I think about that, when I consider how big the universe is, and I look at all those stars and I see all those galaxies and all that stuff, then I ask this question, what am I? What is man that you would care about him? And we were telling the kids this week, you know, we, we don't want you to. We're not trying to make you feel tiny. We want you to know that you are tiny. <laughs> I mean, when you think about the vastness of the universe, and then you think about, well, well why am I important? How could I be important compared to all of this stuff and everything everywhere? How is it that, that God would look at me and say, I care about you? But that's what the psalmist said. When I, when I see all this, I ask the question, what is man that you, that you care for him? And then he goes on and he says, you, God, you have made man just a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent or how majestic is your name in all the earth so i want to think for just a few minutes today about the question that the psalmist asked what what is man in light of of how huge the universe is what what is man now if you were to ask evolutionists what is man they would say he is the uh most highly evolved creature in all of the mix of all the creatures on the earth. But they would say that he has no particular unique dignity and that uh, eventually he will gradually evolve into something else, which I've just got to say from my perspective, from the biblical perspective, that's just ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. What the Bible says is that man was gloriously created. God made man in his own image. When God created Adam, man, he made him 
without any flaw of any kind. He made him absolutely in perfect harmony with himself. And he said, I have put the stamp of my image on this man. He is created to be like me. He has intelligence. He has creativity. He has reason. He has uh, uh, character. He, of all the creatures on the planet, did you know that only man has a developed language? Only man can talk about how he feels and what he thinks and express himself. And only man can think about God and consider the heavens. My dog never thinks about God. My dog doesn't talk. Uh, she can communicate a little bit, but she, not with words, of course. She lets me know when she's hungry or when she needs to go outside. She lets me know when she's licked a frog, which she did last Saturday night. She got outside, and some toad with poison secretion, and my dog picked up that toad in, in its mouth, and then about 15 minutes later was having an absolute go-crazy uh, seizure. So my dog's not very smart. Go around licking toad frogs is not very intelligent, you see. But my dog can do a lot of things, but my dog can never think about God. My dog can never feel a need to pray or repent. My dog can never contemplate God. But we can. So we were gloriously created. But we are seriously flawed. Man is not the way God created him to be originally because man has sinned. And how many of us have sinned? Even with the little kids, even the first and second graders, when I ask them, have you ever sinned? Have you ever done anything you shouldn't do? And all of them, yep. And they, could, they would even tell me if I asked them, but I said, no, I don't want to know. It's not confession time. I'm just... A, I just want you to understand that all have sinned and fallen short of what God designed for us, for the, for, for the glory of God. We've all sinned. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've all turned to our own way. Everyone is turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. And interesting, that verse begins with all and ends with all. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> all have sinned, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, those who will trust in him. 
Now, I tell people sometimes if you'll walk into the front door of that verse, the first all, and then you walk out through the last all, you'll be a Christian. If you acknowledge all have sinned and you believe that Christ died for you, you will be forgiven. So, we were gloriously created. We are seriously flawed. And even though man is capable of super intelligence, there are Albert Einsteins and people like that in the world. There are, uh, man is capable of great nobility, people like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and other people that we admire and appreciate. But he is also capable of great evil. And... Uh, we were talking in Sunday school this morning that I don't have to look out at the world to see that man is sinful. I don't have to look at ISIS. I don't have to look at uh, radical Islamists. I don't have to look at Jeffrey Dahmer and uh, Charles Manson and people like that. I can just go look in the mirror and I can see well, there is somebody who is not what he ought to be. He's not what God created him to be. Here is somebody who needs a Savior. And, of course, when I look at myself, I'm thankful to be able to say, I have a Savior. But if you've not received Christ, then you need a Savior because you need a Savior for many reasons. But let me just mention three. One to deal with the guilt of your past. All have sinned. So how do we get rid of our sin? And what does sin cause? Well, it causes guilt and it causes us to be separated from God. The Bible says your sins have separated you from God. And so I say, well, I need a Savior to deal with my guilt, to, 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 to pay for my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. That's right. So the cost, the penalty, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But because of sin, death is required. And we needed somebody that could pay the penalty that wasn't guilty of death of sin themselves. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God, which is in Christ. So we need a, a Savior to deal with the guilt of the past, but also with the weakness of the present. And let's say that somebody said, well, you know, I, I'm going to stop sinning right now. I'm not ever going to sin again. You know, good luck with that. But, uh, but somebody says, you know, okay, I still need somebody to deal with the guilt of the past, but now... Suppose I decided, okay, I'm going to be good from now. I'm never going to sin again. How long would that last? 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Not too long, would it? Uh, somebody might be able to make it a few minutes. But uh, the fact is, we struggle, don't we? Even as Christians, we struggle, don't we? Even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he said in Romans chapter 7, the, the, the good that I, that I, that I want to do, I don't do. And, and the bad that I don't want to do, I, I end up doing sometimes. And he said, I, who, who, how can I get free from that? How can, I, how can I get free? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. So, uh, so we need a Savior for the guilt of our past, the weakness of our present, and then the fear of our future. What's going to happen when you die? What will happen when you die? Our son drives for Lyft, uh, kind of like Uber. It's the new, uh, it's a, like a taxi thing. And he says when he picks people up to give them a ride, if it's going to be a 15-minute ride or longer, he tries to talk to them about the Lord, tries to, and he said that he picked up a guy a couple of nights ago, and he just said to him, said, uh, as they were talking about doing it, he said, let me just ask you a question. He said, uh, suppose we got hit by a bus, and we were killed. What would happen to you? And the young man said, well, I, I don't know. He said, I I don't think I would go to heaven because he said, I've done too many bad things. And my son said, uh, well, that's... And he asked my son, said, what would happen to you? And he said, well, I would go to heaven. He said, but I've done a lot of bad things too. But he said, I would go to heaven. I know I would. And he said, well, how can you know you'd go to heaven? He said, because... I have put my trust in someone who never did do anything bad. And he actually paid the penalty for the things I've done bad. And I've trusted him. And he said, that's how I know I would go to heaven. Not because I've been good enough, but because I've trusted one who is good enough and who paid my penalty. I said, I told my son, I said, you should have said, well, here comes the bus now. Let's check this out. No, <laughs> that probably wouldn't have been smart. We said to the kids this week, a little song that we used to sing, I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt I could not pay. And that's the gospel, folks. And so you are loved. So you look at the stars, you think, man, I'm so tiny. I'm so insignificant. Why would God even consider this planet, much less, why would he consider me there are 7 billion people on this planet? 
Why would God consider me? Why would he pick me out and say, hey, I know your name. I care about you. I love you. And the reason is because he does love you. He knows everything about you. And I want you to know that Jesus experienced really being a human. You say, well, yeah, if God knew what it was like to be human, and Jesus said, hey, I know what it's like to be human. I was human. Listen to this verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, that is to pay for sin for the people for because he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to help those who are tempted. Isn't it wonderful to know that God looked at us and he said, I see how helpless you feel. I see what, what, you, what you feel like. I am going to become one of you. So I can say, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be tempted and to be tested, to be tried. And then listen to this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. So a positive way of saying that is we have a high priest who can feel what we feel. But he was in all points tested or tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus never, ever, ever sinned. And then the next verse said, Let us then come boldly to the throne of grace where we can get mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I've told you many times before that mercy and grace is what we need. Mercy is when God does not give us what we deserve. And grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve. And that's what we have in Jesus. He paid our debt. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Second Corinthians 5, 21. For God made him, who is the him? It's Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? In order that we might become or receive the righteousness of God in him. So here's the situation that we're in. This is what man is. Man was created Wonderfully perfect, but sin deformed man. God formed him, sin deformed him, and Jesus came to reform us, 
that is to make us new. And he defeated all of our foes. He paid our penalty. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And now he and he only can restore our fallen humanity. Uh, back several years ago, and I don't know how long it's been now, there was a commercial on television. Uh, I think it must have been a long time ago because so they were selling cigarettes. And it was the Marlboro Man. Any of you remember that? Somebody remember the Marlboro Man? This tough-looking dude, you know, and he's smoking the Marlboro. Of course, he probably died of lung cancer. But, uh, but he's talking about be a real man. And when I watch that, I think, what a filthy lie that Hollywood and Madison Avenue tell us that this is what a man is like. Now, you want to know what a real man is like? You look at Jesus. He was a man of compassion, a man of courage. He was a man of confident faith. He said, I always do the will of him who sent me. He lived a life of complete obedience. He withstood those who opposed truth, and he spoke truth even when it cost him his own life. That's what a real man is. A man is someone who is kind and tender, understanding, compassionate. Always amazed at a lot of these teenage girls. They want to date the bad boy. They want to. They look for the for the. Uh, bad boy and uh, riding the motorcycle and nothing wrong with riding the motorcycle it doesn't make you a bad boy but I mean you know uh, got just doing things he shouldn't do and uh, and girls say ah that's the kind of guy I want that's a, then they marry a jerk I mean a guy like that and then in a pretty short time they're saying man he mistreats me what do you expect? If a guy is selfish, disobedient, rebellious, doesn't respect his own parents, uh, uh, doesn't respect other people, doesn't respect authority, irresponsible, what do you think when you marry him, he's going to suddenly become sweet and kind and tender and sacrificial and loving? No, he's not. And uh, I like to tell girls, you know, when you date a guy, look at how he treats his mother. Because that's probably the way he's going to treat you in a few years, you know. And so, uh, now how did I get off on that? I can't remember now how I got off on that. <laughs> but but here, here, here's the thing. You want to date a real man? You want to marry a real man? You want to be a real man, guys? Then you look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want you to form your character in me. I trust you for my sin. I trust you. I become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But I don't want to just be a Christian. I want Christ to be formed in me. And I want to become the responsible, caring, 
compassionate, kind, loving, serving, humble, sacrificial person that I see in Jesus. And you want to have your manhood restored? You want to have your humanity restored? Then you trust in Jesus and then you draw close to him and you let him form himself in you in process of time. And you will change and become what God created you to be. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us enough that you would send your own son to take our penalty, to die our death, to defeat all of our foes, to conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer Satan, and then to give to us eternal life but not just life that lasts forever, but your life, the life of Jesus, so that Christ himself is formed in us. And I pray for every one of us here today that if we have not received Christ, we'll do that, but if we have received Christ, that our prayer, our cry of our heart would be, Jesus, be formed in me. Be formed in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us, and let us get to know you. Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.